when Julie and I started dating, we realized that since we were in our late 30s, we had skipped all of the milestones in dating, like going off to college or graduating high school (laughs) or getting your first crappy job. So we're like, how do we fill those in? We're like, Uh let's watch each other's favorite movies. Um, (laughs) And she handed me her list and each one was less intelligible than the past. Like, what is this movie? Prudusum? Yeah, it's a French meditation on the nature of loss as seen through the lens of a small bakery trying to survive the bombing of like Pacific Indochina. And I'm like, oh, my my favorite movie is Anchorman with Will Ferrell. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I wish I'd been recording. That would have been I, a great cold open. I was recording that because I wanted oh, okay. to get it. <laughs> cool. I'm glad you you can send you can put that on the drive and, and upload it. I'm gonna hit recording right. Okay. Welcome to Bonus Experience. This is a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games. We are two queer people speaking with authority about games, and we swear, die mad about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You may notice that I'm not with Ray today. I'm with a very different sounding person, my synthetic Ray replacement for the last couple episodes of season five. Welcome to the show officially, Terry Robinson. Yay. Uh, hello, and thank you for, for having me. It was kind of funny, because in the days leading up to this, you're like, hey, what do you want to talk about? And I had a bunch of topics, and I'm like, we need to pick one. And you're like, no, it'll just be a conversation. I'm like, you don't understand. You are my podcast dad, and I am not going to disappoint you. <laughs> so like, so it's one of those things, like, if I had my video on, you'd see that I had like a bow tie on and so on, because I want to look <laughs> nice like, for this. I'm like, nice podcast dad. <laughs> <Don't."> <laughs> So uh, what do you want to talk about? You brought up a bunch of very, very interesting topics when I asked you what you wanted to talk yeah. about. And you brought up something that we started discussing via chat. And then I literally stopped myself because I would run out of <laughs> thing. I was like, I can't keep talking about this or I will run out of the ideas that I had to talk about on air. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties into you talking about running Mage for D&D people. And I'm really interested about ta- and talking about that. Let's talk about Mage and D&D. Okay. <laughs> So I guess the the notional setup for this for me is over the course of the Panzerati, mm-hmm. I started out by just we're not running. on we're not on YouTube. You can say pandemic. Okay, <laughs> it's we're not. It's not going to get demonetized. You can just fucking say pandemic. I love I love people replacing that word because YouTubers replaced it to not get demonetized, and so then everybody oh, okay. says some some sort of funny. That's that's where that came from. In case you oh, didn't interesting. know that. Yeah, I thought it was just one of those things where people just got tired of saying like the Rona, what for, and so on. <laughs> well, people like it's funny to give things a nickname, but part of it also came from YouTubers who were literally not allowed to say the word pandemic or COVID or coronavirus, okay. and so they had to call it something else, or they would lose money on their video. That uh, makes sense. And so like people started saying things like the panini (laughs) the paparazzi the backstreet boys reunion tour (laughs) (laughs) crunder dunder yeah yes (laughs) Um, over the course of the pandemic especially early on i found remote gaming to be a methadone like substitute for the real thing and in a lot of cases my gaming groups just kind of transitioned to let's just get together and talk 
every two weeks mm-hmm. and and that was that was a happier space but i'm like no nah, i still want to scratch the game itch so i ran a lot of mage the ascension one shots by my count it's a little shy of 30 of them so i was it was one of those things where it would cluster around conventions Mm -hmm. i'm a person that given the choice between like two hours every week and one ferocious stretch over two weeks where it is my all-consuming job i would much rather kind of do the latter so i'm like okay well this convention is happening i'm gonna offer four or five mage one shots because you really get into a groove i am a remarkably anxious person especially pursuant to games and Mm. once i've run the first session my adrenal glands are empty so the next one goes pretty smoothly so i would just try and bunch them up uh and then i started doing kind of as a as a one-off thing just where there were enough people that are like hey i want to try this game so i I ran about 30 all of them were the same scenario so boy howdy did i know that john (laughs) inside and out and uh-huh. much like you, I am now a member of the club that has introduced at least 100 people to the game that they love. Because I assume you have functionally done that with Exalted over time. Oh, you know, I've never bothered to count, but sure, yes, probably, and maybe even more, thanks to systematic understanding of everything. I also have a fair amount of experience introducing D&D people to Exalted. I did this originally a lot with 2nd Edition, and then kind of took some of that info from that time period and then translated it over to making Essence palatable to the 5e crowd. And specifically to the people in the 5e crowd who are interested in playing other games. Like, you have to put that caveat on it. Because you're not you're not grabbing the D&D people who were never interested in playing something else. And it was interesting. Over the course of those 30, I noticed mm-hmm. that there were some differences between people. You do the intro and be like, hey, have you ever played any games before? And someone's like, oh yeah, I'm a huge gamer. I love all sorts of games. And you're like, what do you what do you like? And you're like, oh, I played D&D. I played Pathfinder. We're doing Ravenloft right now. And you're like, the, oh, okay. That's an interesting... Okay, got it. I love it when you're like, have you played games other than D&D? And they're like, fuck yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Which ones? And they're like, Pathfinder, Pathfinder. and Starfinder and 13th Age. One, like some other thing that's just still D&D wearing another hat. And you're like, okay, so you've not. The answer was actually no, but okay, cool. Those games are good. I'm never mean to those people. And I was just like, would you like to try something else? And usually the answer is yes. People who are that enthusiastic about like, oh yeah, I've totally played Pathfinder and Starfinder, interested in other things. And it was my experience with trying to like rope in some complete strangers who have never tried Exalted before and like wave the smelling salts of essence under their nose during some of the early development phases. Just didn't know where to find other stuff. Like, I, a bunch of people who I was like, hey, if you're interested in trying other games, talk to me. Didn't even know Drive-Thru RPG existed. Does that surprise you? <laughs> Not really, because my experience with that has been I bought a bunch of Drive-Thru RPG reprints of games and then I eventually got the originals. And I'm like, what do I do with the second? It's not like I need a beater copy for the table. And I right. wound up selling them used on eBay, clearly marked as a reprint. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can sell a drive through RPG reprint for 15 to 30% more than what it would cost to get the POD from drive through RPG indicates mm-hmm. to me that people do not know that drive through RPG exists. Yeah, tell your friends drive through RPG exists. You can get all kinds of games there, including D&D stuff. Lots of D&D stuff out there. Use the BXP affiliate link. Yeah, use the BXP affiliate link, which is on our merch page, actually. <laughs> Tell me about how d people handle mage, because those are two <laughs> very different things. Sing to me, O Muse. Yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, because taking d d people to Exalted isn't honestly that far of a jump. They're both still fantasy games, and one is sort of 
in many ways an intentional subversion of the other. And when you get on board with that idea, it's very easy to, to like get in with it, right? Yeah. But Mage is so different. So tell me, please. Well, so to me, one of the trade-offs is the fact is to what extent does one intuitively understand the logic of the world? To me, one of the problems I ran into with Exalted is I do not have an intuitive sense of the logic of the world. So I kind of have to like cobble it together from twigs and sticks from first principles. And I was never an anime person or a Wuxia film person. So I had to be like, well, this is what the game says happens, but this is how people play it. What the dink? And at least Mage being, uh, so we're talking about Mage the Ascension, which was a old White Wolf game, which is now owned by the Swedes, which is to say Paradox, that is currently in its 20th anniversary edition. Next year will be its 30th. I have something super secret planned for that. And by that, I mean, I'm going to talk about it endlessly as it approaches being done, is a game where you are a wizard and every form of magic works. So if someone is injured and your character believes in intercessory prayer, you can pray the bullet out of them. If you are a Korean Mudang and you believe that the spirit of the bullet can be roused to undo the damage it does, that's perfectly fine. You can use Hypertech Nanites. You can use an Orgone Accumulator as long as your character sufficiently believes it, which is to say they have like the system backing to do it and you get enough successes it works. You are fighting consensus reality. So the world that we all live in, if someone were to look at it and go, that's impossible. What you're doing is harder. And if you botch, bad things happen. So that's kind of my TLDR. And the game takes place in kind of a battle for this reality. How do we get enough people to believe what we think such that the rules of reality change to accommodate that? So if you're in an area where faith healing is an accepted practice, there it is much easier to do that faith healing. There, the microtech nanites, which could work in certain high-tech areas of Silicon Valley or say South Korea or something like that would not function where they'd be fine maybe elsewhere. So uh, reality is local. So the advantage there is people know how the modern world works. Like when they have to get from point A to point B, some people would look at their character sheet and they'd be like, I don't have a car. I'm like, but you're in a major city and you have a cell phone. Do you want to call an Uber? And they're like, yeah, I'm going to call an Uber. <laughs> and like they're excited that in the game they can call an Uber. Like, oh, uh, wow. it's, a thing exactly. I can't do in real life. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so part of it, part of it was genuinely the fun of wish fulfillment because yes, you're playing against overwhelming odds of like antagonists that want to destroy you, but the pandemic isn't happening in the world and my character has like money and magic. So wish fulfillment. Woo. <laughs> and when I asked people their experience, it generally broke down into kind of four buckets. No, I haven't really played games before. Maybe a one shot here or a one shot there. And a friend of mine told me about it. And I think it's really cool in the same way that like changeling attracted theater kids. Mm -hmm. I think mage kind of attracted philosophy nerds. So very occasionally that's, that's you'd have fair. people. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just have notions of people being like, oh, well, I can argue about Kilkagore and Proust in this game. Obviously, I will figure out the system to play it. This makes more sense than Wittgenstein. Let's go. Joke's on you. It makes less sense than Wittgenstein. So you had the people who just came out of nowhere, found out about mage, hadn't even titterpigged before, and then did it. Then you would have the D&D people. Then you'd have the people that played a few games. And then you would have have what I'll call the Chaz level people. Like, okay. you know, sometimes before systematic understanding of everything, you, Chaz, and I would have a conversation about a game and it would be in this, for lack of a better term, Creole patois of just <laughs> game terms. You'd be like, oh yeah, I tried it, what does it do? Oh, it uses a modified 2D6 momentum system. Game rule biasing? No, it has intrusions. Oh, interesting. What do they do with the balancing mechanic? Ah, uh, XP is group-based. And like, we both know the entirety of the game just based on that list of adjectives and comparing it to other games, like the Star <laughs> Trek episode, like Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Monica with exalted essence with momentum. Oh, okay. Everything makes sense now. And 
running 30 sessions, I kind of got an idea of where the little areas that people would catch on in the system. And I noticed that a bunch of commonalities emerged for the D&D folk. And that got me thinking, if that's going to be our biggest target audience, how do we change games or how we present them to do this? And again, please note that I'm speaking in generalities. This is just kind of a bunch of general trends. It may be me working backwards and saying D&D players did this, thus that is a mark of being a D&D player, even though other people did. So I, I fully recognize that this could be confirmation bias. Just to put out there for the audience in, who may also be like, I'm a D&D person, why are you talking about me like this? We are talking about our limited experience with the people who we have exposed ourselves to. Wait, maybe yes. I shouldn't say it like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have opened the, the doors to the game for, I, it's just we're talking about people who we've run for, that's that's it. So it was interesting because the people with no RPG experience, I could give them a list of tenants of the game, almost in a Powered by the Apocalypse sense, where mm. I would say things like magic is potent, but best done concealed. Sleepers are asleep. They are dangerous if, if roused. And I could just give these like aphorisms. And it kind of worked for people that had an improv experience background. And I could also say things like, what is your goal? And we could work backwards from that. I found with a lot of D&D players, they generally viewed scenes as puzzles that were solved by pointing to the right thing on your character sheet that you were good at and made you special. And that every person could win every encounter, as mm -hmm. opposed to it being a case where, oh, we need to do this. We need to let Sandra's character take point on this. If someone's thought that they were a fighty character, they thought they always had to be the fighty character and they wanted to fight their way out of the scenario. It was also interesting in that they seemingly had a different relationship with hit points and so on, like what your gas tanks were in the game. So in Mage of the Ascension, your character is very squishy. And I say this up front, one bullet will kill you or can kill you. You're not a vampire. You're not a werewolf. You don't really get to soak. A sufficiently <laughs> large fall will, will easily incapacitate you. A stiff breeze is one of the deadliest weapons in Mage. That's not actually true. But like, they're not special. They're glass cannons kind of in that way. People were frequently geared towards like, oh, okay, I can soak bullets at a certain rate but I can dish out pain at a certain rate. Where Mage is a game that very much wants you to meet, if you think force is going to be involved, you want to use overwhelming force and run or fight a holding action if it is not clear that you will win and kind of retreat. So it did not lend itself to kind of meat bag style combat where people are just throwing themselves at each other. <laughs> so that encounter as puzzle aspect is was kind of interesting. Like the notion that a scene is just information gathering or finding out about what a person thought took a little bit to get in. The idea of role-playing, a lot of people... Since, since Mage does not have character classes, and a lot of people use character classes to also define personality, a lot of people found the paradigms, which is your worldview of how you do magic, to be a little bit totalizing. So okay. your, your character that was a death mage saw everything through the visage of death, which is fine. You could be really interested in it, but at the end of the day, your character may have a coffee shop they go to. They might be active in a community theater group. It is not always 100%. I'm a fighter. I solve things with swords. Well, your fighter might have a dog at home and like kids. So let's talk about that. So the idea of kind of branching out from that was a little bit uncomfortable, where mm -hmm. people with an improv or other games backgrounds felt comfortable giving their characters quirks and personality and depth in a certain way. The other thing was a tendency to try and find that thing on the character sheet to point to and having a v an idea that if I am clever enough, I can win the encounter, which felt a little bit 
weird because again, it's not a puzzle like that. There, there really aren't puzzles in the traditional, you have to do figure out this room to unlock this door. There was kind of a focus on loot as a motivation. Like it, you're either doing this because you hate, you're trying to kill a guy or you're trying to kill a guy and get their stuff, or maybe just get their stuff. So the idea that your character had a notion of justice to enact in the world was a little bit tough for some people. And kind of the, the idea that combat was the obvious apex of any encounter was frequently there where people were positioning that when violence occurred that they would be in a best position and not really thinking that there is a way to avoid that. And that is something I found that people that just had like a light improv background or had played other games were fine doing. And that changed the way I ran these to say, please note that you are characters in the modern world and rarely is every disagreement solved with violence. You are a mage. You have a lot of tools in your toolbox. You may be able to avoid a potentially hazardous encounter. You may be able to subvert the intentions of the agent. You may be able to play a longer game to interfere with what they are trying to do. If we were to play this game multiple times, you would get experience points for showing me that your character were clever, grew as a person, and explored the way they and their magic interacted with the world. Every person you kill, every body on the floor, does not represent personal advancement. You get yeah. no XP from okay. killing a guy. Finding these things and then working backwards to say, hey, these are the preconceptions that need to be broken, I think ultimately improved the sessions. And I was glad for that opportunity. I was just nodded thoughtfully because <laughs> I nice. was also thinking about like the comparison to Exalted and some of the transitional similarities that I hadn't thought of consciously. Like I was expecting you to be like, yeah, people who are used to being a D&D &D wizard are blown away by the fact that you can just <laughs> cast spells all the time and mage. You, I mean, you, there's more to it than that. It's more complicated than that. But like you're not limited by spell slots. You don't have to wait until like a certain level. That one people very quickly overcome. Yeah. When they're like, hey, I just cast an effect. Can I do another one? I'm like, yeah, you can yeah. keep going until paradox becomes a problem. And that's one of the, that, that is one of those holy shit moments, but that's one that is very quickly resolved. You know, when you're trying to figure out like how a new person works or you're at a new restaurant and you're like, there are the things that take you a while to adjust to and things that do not take you a while to adjust to. Like the first time I used a bidet, I'm like, I am on board with this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the first time I used a squatty potty, I'm like, this is going to have a learning curve to it. Um, the, <laughs> the you could just keep casting magic, very brief learning curve. People are on that minecart real fast. I have had plenty of experience teaching people essence who were either 5e people or like some sort of D&D &D person. And similarly, the charm hump is pretty easy to get over. It's just like, it's your powers. You get to use it all the time. It has, a, it has a cost, and in essence, it's a very simple cost. It's like it's one, one or two, usually. They, they disappear from your pool when you use them. Moats. Yep, moats. You, you mark, yep. you move them. Like, one of our players had a little bit of trouble with the whole spend commit available thing. So I made a little track that you can put little, little like, tokens on Aww. and slide them down. Like, it's a little worker placement board game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which worked out beautifully. Then he was like, oh, oh, okay, 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 cool, got it. So like that part, not confusing. One of the other things that, that people who are very familiar with D&D actually have a very easy time with Essence, and we did this on purpose, is that Exalted Vantages and Anima effects, which have always existed more or less in Exalted, we just didn't call them out like that before, mm -hmm. uh, are called out in a way that are literally supposed to look like class features mm -hmm. and racial abilities. I don't love the term racial abilities, but it's what D&D &D calls it, so... When are we just going to call them species? Like Yeah, when, or just ancestry. I mean, that's yeah. what Pathfinder 2 did. Pathfinder okay. went, it's your ancestry. You can have elven ancestry and, like, not be an elf qua elf. 
also doing away with the whole like half species thing, which is (laughs) 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 glad glad we mechanized blood quantums. Yeah. One of the interesting things to me, though, is about introducing to people role-playing games from scratch. I frequently do that because I'm an extrovert. I need other people or I will die. I am part of an opera company. I introduced a number of them to Titter Pigs. And it is fascinating for them to say they've played three or four different games with me. And they're like, no, I'm not really a role player. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. For them, for that to be the definitive thing of what a role-playing game person is. Mm -hmm. But I found it more successful, for me at least, to introduce it as not that we are all different kinds of players where you will play specific characters and I will play everyone else as the storyteller, but to say we are all types of storytellers and you have general dominion over this, you can interfere with the world and you can suggest how the world should unfold. But likewise, I can sometimes say, hey, I think your character would react to this in this way. And just calling it more of a collaborative writing exercise than a we are enacting characters for me has proven better that may be just because it meshes with my style of storytelling more but that was also one of those subtle shifts that kind of worked its way into my vocabulary as i spent more and more time introducing people to games and fiasco to me is still the best first rpg because that's one of those things where if they get fiasco they will get literally every other game and if they don't it's the game's fault <laughs> so, so it's fair wor- yeah, fiasco it's wor- is not hard to play but it does require a certain degree of commitment it it mm-hmm. requires a willingness to do the level of like fabulation that i mm-hmm. think a lot of good role-playing games require and not to say if someone doesn't do well with fiasco they can't role play it is one of those things though if they can they probably are going to be good with a lot of other things again given system complexity yeah the other thing that you brought up comparing it to also teaching DD people exalted is that well exalted doesn't has never done xp for killing people ever you get xp for showing up and doing things in the session more or less like it's it's classic white wolf where it's just like you 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 arrived you did things, here's your XP. Essence does the same thing with like personal milestones and stuff. It's like, hey, you make up a thing you want to do. And then when you do it, you get your little tick box. And when the story has progressed a certain point, you advance. But because Exalted has its roots in source material that is action-based, fighting is always an option. It's a shounen anime, it's a martial arts film, it's an action, a Hong Kong cinema action type deal, like action movies are part of it. Even Western action movies are sometimes very exalted, as much as wuxia films. So if you are unsure what to do, you can always be a guy who is good at fighting. And then you will always have something to do, because some amount of kung fu fighting, action, butt kicking, sword, sword swashbuckling, sword swinging, is assumed to happen in the game. Right. And so if your experience with D&D is, I don't understand any of this. I don't want to mess with this magic system. I just want to play a fighter because it's fun and easy for me to just be a guy who hits things with my sword. That doesn't require a lot of buy-in and it's not, you don't have to deal with the mortifying ordeal of being known. Like there's no embarrassment in, in just being guy who hits things with his sword. And Exalted is like, oh, that's just a Dawn cast, except he also shoots his bow and throws things and is good at leading troops. And like, we kind of encourage you to say more than just, I hit it with my sword. From fighter to Dawncast is such an easy transition <laughs> that like Exalted opens the door and is like, come in. We have a very expansive setting and cookies. Come, come. Yeah. 
and, and you bring up kind of an interesting thing because Exalted has the notion of wild successes. Like mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I rolled a 20. This is like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, Hold and my it's, beer. Like, it's fun got- to watch people's minds, who are people who are used to like crits feeling great, get their minds blown the first time they manage to roll like 10 successes on five dice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the interesting thing though is the idea that a success needs to be parsed mm-hmm. is something that some players find difficult because in D&D frequently the challenge seems to be very yes or no mm-hmm. where you have succeed don't succeed and maybe right. you have a little bit of degree of success but it is hard for some people to say okay you got five successes on this this charm roll you're going to get extra information or you're going to get someone who may help you for the next few scenes what do you want that to look like and that kind of what does success look like negotiation i found is something that some dnd players have difficulty with whereas people who kind of view it as a collaborative storytelling exercise are pretty good with the oh how about blank yeah or uh, what if the person also takes care of unlocking this door for us or we get to borrow their keys or something like that. The idea that specificity in what you do is not what will lead to success. Like players would be like, yeah, I want to fire the bullet so that it goes through with a candle, lighting it on fire and then going over here. And I want to see how successful that is. I'm like, okay, that's that's an idea. How about you just tell me the general <laughs> thing that you want to have happen you want to hurt the bad guy by lighting them on fire we'll roll a bunch of dice and based on the number of successes you tell me what that looks like and that was something that i found that people with kind of an improv background or with a few other games found to be a little bit easier than DD players again that may also be my style of storytelling where i want the characters to tell me what success looks like where in other games the storyteller always takes care of saying what success looks like but the idea that I just need to know the direction, like the general instrumentality of what you want to do. We will roll dice and then together we will figure out what that looks like. Uh, that was a bit of that. That was a pretty big learning curve. Just so everyone knows, BXP and of course the mid-episode break room are brought to you by the Misdirected Mark Network. We want to remind you that you can always become a BXP patron. Patrons get to chat with us directly. They get cool special Discord roles with fun colors and occasionally exclusive hangouts. Uh, You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. If you'd rather support BXP without Patreon, we know they're not the best, but hey, they're kind of like the only game in town. You can also still subscribe to us on Ko-fi instead and you get all the same rewards. You can find that at ko-fi.com slash bonus EXP or buy our stuff. We got a bunch of stuff you can buy. You can go to bxpcast.com slash bxp swag, check out our merch page, which also links directly to Nerdy Kepi, who we are sponsored by. You can get all kinds of rad queer swag. Get yourself a pair of neat bi pride shoes and shorts. Be the most colorful person on your block. Use code BXPCAST at checkout for 10% off, which is a code that never expires. So if you're like, hey, I really liked those shoes. Too pricey for me to buy the cool shoes and the shorts at the same time. You can come back later and use our code again. And we get the money both times. Never expires, but doesn't stack with other promos. Just FYI. Also remember that saying nice things is always free. Leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts. Podbean. Google, wherever you listen, 
and help us get more listeners. Also, like, the best way to make sure that BXP continues to make stuff and be out there is to literally tell your friends and make posts about it. Like, please, tell your friends and make posts about it. If you hear overhear people being like, I don't know how to GM, I don't know how to get started, just slide them some BXP. Please, we would love it if you helped us build our audience that way. We really like to hear from people who are beginning, and we want to help support you. And if you like bonus experience, you will also like Pandas Talking Games, queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing and making outtakes. Join Pandas, Phil, and Senda every Monday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop RPGs. Get cozy and let's talk about some games. Okay, let me catch my breath. Have you ever done a show talking about, like, the invisible rulebook? Uh, like, like what good old Vincey Baker calls the fruitful void? Um, uh, the, the portion of the role-playing game that's not covered by the game's rules, but which the rules and systems draw Yes, apart. that's literally the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. it's, it's the thing that the game is about without saying it's about, because it's implied in the rules, right? Or the setting. Got it. I right, think the like, fruitful boy void is part of the invisible rule book that also includes things like don't hit people <laughs> <laughs> at the table. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> take periodic uh, bathroom breaks. I would say that the the fruitful void also includes things <laughs> like how how like exalted is about power. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, it, like it doesn't really ever come out and tell you that it doesn't say that anywhere it doesn't like there's no introductory paragraph that's like hey this game is in some degree an examination of power and what it means to have it and what it means to use it right and how that's like morally complicated and it never says that anywhere but that sure is implied in the way games go yeah i mm, now you make me wonder about what is the gap between the invisible rulebook the fruitful void, the void and just the things that are the theme and mood of the game that the developer doesn't say hey we use this mechanic for this reason when we talk about things like D players be like this but exalted players be like if it is just that we kind of cut our teeth on a different set of invisible rulebooks and once they are kind of ingrained it is hard to reverse that. Like, have you ever had utter difficulty switching between games, even though you are noted industry professional Monica S? <laughs> yes and no, because, like, obviously, I'm noted industry professional. <laughs> noted, yeah. A noted of some extremely minor fame. It's a perfect amount of fame. I've talked about this before. I'm going to try not to get distracted by that. I try to be a game's polymath in as much as I can be. I have yet to LARP. Because I try to be broadly game literate, I very rarely am presented with a game where I'm like, I don't get it. This doesn't make any sense to me. Like that that part never happens. But sometimes I am presented with a game and I'm like, this is bad. <laughs> or sometimes I am presented with a game and I am like, I hate the way this is this works. Or sometimes I am presented with a game where I'm like, this is fine, but I'd rather be playing something else. If I've tried to play in two different fantasy games at the same time, like let's say I'm playing a game on Tuesday and one on like every other Saturday, and one is exalted and one is not, I will not enjoy the second game because <laughs> I will constantly compare it to how much I enjoy playing exalted. And especially Essence, which is like the nicely polished version that I worked on really hard. Like I was going to be in a Worlds Without Number game. And like, I think Kevin Crawford is a pretty good designer. I generally like the Stars Without Number system. I liked Godbound. Worlds Without Number looked delightful. I think it's a good slick little OSR game. And I just, my brain was like, no, I don't want it. The texture's funny. 
Yeah. Blech. I, it Blech. makes me wonder. <laughs> I frequently will have difficulty switching between the two, especially if there is a big tone shift. Mm-hmm. So I am wondering if there is like a table ritual or something like that that I would be able to do when running a game that would kind of establish that theme and mood. Mm -hmm. Kind of like there are games that have some sort of ritual chanting to it. Like, it's really hard not to get into Aegon once you do the first roll and you're like, I am Monica, die. Uh, (laughs) Fourth generation game designer, die. Who has slayed the story path system, bonus die. Uh, Chosen of Megan Fitzgerald, bonus die. <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm fucking playing Aegon. And likewise with Exalted, the first time you roll approximately 174 dice, you're like, oh, I'm fucking playing Exalted. I don't know if I have the rituals determined for Mage that would do that. Like that would make it obvious that this is a different thing. Like that mechanical thing that forces you to go through a thing that gets you in the headspace of the game that that one wishes to play. It makes me wonder if there are ways of baking that in that could get us to the core of the experience a little bit faster. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't have a good answer for that. I get what you're saying. And and the, the closest you can sometimes do is something where you say, hey, we are picking up a new session. What did your character do since last time? And suddenly you're looking over sheep, what's my character? What do do I think my character does during downtime? And stuff like that. And and one way that you can do that in a one shot is by starting everything kind of in media race where your character is being awesome and any resources you blow are immediately recovered. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if you've ever done a Gen Con one shot with any of the Pelgrane people. I have not. But like, if you're sitting down to play Knights Black Agents, you bet in the first 10 seconds seconds you are fighting a vampire in an airplane that is like on fire going towards a himalayan temple or something like that it does <laughs> sound really fantastic the the art of the one shot is lost on me yeah. so you're not good at one shots i don't know how to set mood good thing we both <laughs> notionally describe ourselves as being engaged we don't, we don't have to be but um do you feel that games should have a specific on-ramp for people who have played D&D? Yes, but. It's a yes, but. But only if you are intentionally trying to court that audience. And I don't think every game should do that. There are some leaps that are easier than others to make. And, like, I think it's also a little insulting to people whose game experience is limited to try to be like, here, baby, have some baby food. Like, people whose only exposure to D&D, to gaming is just D&D because that's available. It's broadly available. It doesn't make those people stupid. <laughs> no, but it, but it may make sense to be like, hey, if you're a D&D person, this is kind of like this other thing. Yeah. It sounded earlier like your way of dealing like that was to not call it out, but to use that kind of as a templating thing that you could point out in terms of feats and such. I'm reminded of like tourist locations where information mm-hmm. is in the local language and English. Uh-huh. Yes, that it's it's very much like that actually. Or like trying to convince someone to try something they would consider foreign by comparing it to something they would consider or like I don't know, like calling udon Japanese spaghetti. <laughs> Even though like that the only thing those two things have in common is that they're noodles. Also, if you like consistently refer to udon a completely different dish than any Italian dish you can think of, like Japanese spaghetti that's that's very reductive and maybe even a little bit racist, but also getting someone to want to try udon 
instead by that cell job broadens that person's horizons and then once they're like oh that's really good i like this other noodle dish from a different part of the world now that you've familiarized it to me then you're like okay but you have to stop calling it japanese spaghetti yeah <laughs> you, gotta call, well, of- you gotta stop with that that was that was to get you on board <laughs> i would be fine actually if you went one step further and said it's japanese pischetti um <laughs> <laughs> well, so like, there's also some some things people will build games, and they'll be like, "Well, it has to have rolled initiative, because otherwise the D and D people won't be on board." And it's just like, "No, stop treating people whose only exposure to games is D and D like they're stupid." People can understand that initiative doesn't have to be rolled. That's not the thing that people who are coming from D and D looking for other games are looking for. In my general experience, do you think it would be reasonable if in the rulebook it said, "Rather than rolling initiative, characters mm-hmm. blank." Yes, that's perfectly reasonable because even if your exposure to to gaming is like I don't know Shadowrun, yeah. uh, you you still probably have an idea of what rolled initiative is, right? Like even if your game exposure is just y- you skipped Critical Role and Dimension Twenty and you went right to Friends at the Table, you've still probably heard that phrase. <laughs> yeah, it it is weird yeah. what gaming terms have made its made their way into the zeitgeist and when people try and like invoke them like when i hear someone say critical hit at work and i'm like nah (laughs) it's like (laughs) stepping on a lego (laughs) so that's also really interesting because like the idea of a critical hit i think it came from D &D, and then video games stole it same with hit points and so like that came back around into things that are common pop culture parlance because they're also in video game discussion. I think some of that also comes from like crits and whatnot are are things that happen in video games and happen in video games that like people play all the time. (laughs) That's right up there with someone playing, you know, D&D or Exalted and being like, yeah, headshot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That is the that is the missing manual for for exalted essence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essence absolutely needed. Called shots. It's one thing that system was a hundred percent missing. Anyway, uh, you can find the show at bxpcast.com, part of the Misdirected Mark Network. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email, that is bonusexpcast at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to see your email amidst all the spam emails we get from people trying to advertise. Uh, better SEO to us. I spend a lot of my time deleting those. We would love to see your fan mail and not one more person being like, be on top page on Google. (laughs) You can also shout at us on Twitter or send us a DM or show us pictures of your cats, whatever, at bonusexpcast. And if you want to join us and hang out with us, uh, our Discord is public. We have special spaces for patrons and special roles for patrons, but anybody is allowed to hang out and you are all welcome. You can check out tinyurl.com slash bxpdiscord, which will take you right to it. Terry. Yes. If they want to hear more from you or follow you on the internets, where can they find you? If you're interested in my two current projects, one is Mage the Podcast, where we talk about the old World of Darkness game, Mage the Ascension. I have a remarkably broad definition of what it means to talk about Mage the Ascension. Upcoming episode on the history of Gnosticism. Another one on how we do session prep for games, and another one, hopefully, on the death beliefs of the Aztecs. We'll see if I can bring those all together in time. There is also Pain in the Dice, which is a more generic project I do with friend of the show, Chaz K. Then I talk about games that we've done, some general thoughts. That also includes RPGnomics, where I talk about the business of the RPG world. I'm always interested in people in the industry who are willing to talk numbers, who just want to explain to enthusiasts and community members what the numbers behind the games they love are. So if you're one of those, by all means, reach out to me. That is painthedice.com and madesthepodcast.com. Sweet. Uh, And if you're looking for me, obviously you can 
listen to me on more bonus experience. You can also find the handful of episodes I'm on on Mage the Podcast. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Talking about a bunch of interesting things that are only slightly related to Mage. If you want to hear me talk about like generally good design and then also about assassins, both of those things happened on Mage the Podcast. Assassins is such a good game. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. It knows what it's doing, but does not demand that it become genre emulation. And that is so hard to do. We could probably get a third episode just on... If you ever want to hear my thoughts about how I'm fucking done with genre, I would be glad to. (laughs) Yeah, sure. That can be another one. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at ZenithSun. And I'm also on Tumblr. I'm Dice-Wizard. I actually like talk about things on Tumblr, but also sometimes I get baked because I use THC to sleep and there's like a hour-long period before I actually drag my ass to bed where I'm just high on my couch and then I just reblog things from stuff I'm interested in so occasionally if you're following me and you're like oh Monica was on the Elden Ring tag that does happen <laughs> oh this is a nice little feed yeah are you looking at my tumblr I am I tried to put it yeah, in before I, and I, I somehow managed to misspell dice wizard oh okay <laughs> yeah it's mostly just just fan art and like I like reblogging people who make handmade dice or people who like draw pictures of their characters. Uh, there's a thriving exalted art community out there actually. And so I follow like the exalted tag and I just reblog. If, if you are a, a, an exalted artist making art of your OCs, I am a hundred percent following you and reblogging your stuff. Please follow me back. I would enjoy that. And then I also occasionally post actual like advice posts and stuff like that. So like Tumblr has been a good place to be as far as social media goes. And part of that is also because I've just been like, anyone who makes this experience unpleasant for me, I am blocking and muting or unfollowing. Gotta go. There's, oh, we got other things to do. I'm technically still working. I'm getting uh, Yeah. This. Oh, yeah. I, if anyone yeah, asks, I was doing out. math the whole time. Uh-huh. Yep. Change it if you want to. Uh, what's the... Do you just uh, repeat it? Go change reality. Things? That's the thing I say okay. at the end of May. Yeah. All right. Okay. yeah. Bye. All right. Exult strong. Yep. <laughs>